Faith or works of the law? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus, Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thank you. Well, good morning again, everyone. Um, it's good to be here with you in the flesh this week. Um, and yeah, thanks to those of you as well who sent me messages during the week to see how I was going. It was a little bit uh, crook last Sunday, so um, everyone had to kind of bear with a sermon from the screen. And um, I heard the audio wasn't quite that great from my recording, so thank you for bearing with that as well. I hear kind of, um, it was either concentrate really hard and hear, or, or fall asleep because it was too hard to concentrate. So that sermon is now uh, up online if you'd like to, to listen to it again, um, uh, with the, the audio is a little bit better now. Um, well, I want to ask you a question to, uh, to start off with this morning. Uh, that question is, uh, can you uh, think of a time where you started something one way, but you finished it another? When you started something one way, but you finished it another. Uh, for example, you, maybe you've started uh, a painting or something. You've started it in paint. You might have finished it in crayon. I don't know if that happens. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, a house reno that you might have started really well but it's gone kind of pear-shaped towards the, the end there as well. You, you've started something one way, but you've finished it another way. Well, I hear this question uh, get asked, and I remember my very first sports day. One of the first sporting events that I went to at school. Now, now also, I need to tell you, this remains one of the most embarrassing memories for me as a child, so you need to know the fact that I'm actually sharing with it shows how much um, you, you all mean to me and how much I trust you, Okay. <laughs> Okay, so the event I will never forget is the 50 meter sprint. Not the 100 meter sprint, the 50 meter sprint. I was about, I was about five years old. Five years old, and, and obviously, knowing that sports day was on the horizon, like any good, you know, athletic five year old would, you know, I went into a brutal training program to get ready. We're talking push-ups, squats, sprints for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I have the tiger, was blaring constantly. It wasn't really, you get the picture. I was really excited about my first sports day. Then the day arrived. 
I was nervous, you know, palms were sweaty, on the surface looking calm and ready to race, you know. Uh, on the right-hand side, there was a stadium that was full of parents and full of students, and I'm sure full of scouts looking for amazing athletes like myself. If you've been to Santos Stadium, uh, you'll have a bit of an image in your head of what I'm talking about here. Well, the time for my race came around. I was at the start line, just waiting for my time to shine. The gun went up, the countdown started, and bang! We were off. My little legs are pumping as hard as possible to get out the front. One step, two step, three steps. I was doing well. I could win this thing. But there was one thing, one thing I hadn't taken into account. One crucial thing that I hadn't remembered to do before that race had started. And it became apparent to me about 15 metres into the 50 metre sprint. The drawstring of my shorts wasn't done up properly. (laughs) Yeah. I started that race one way, I finished that race another way. I started as a champion, but I crossed the finish line in last place with my shorts around my ankles, tripping up in front of the whole entire school, one of the most embarrassing things in my childhood. And where would I be if I'd finished the race the way I started? I could have been racing Usain Bolt at the Olympics or something like that. Instead, I was an embarrassed five-year-old wishing I could be anywhere else. I started one way, I finished another way. Now, for me, it was a complete accident to do this, obviously. I was five years old, a drawstring on my shorts. But in the passage today, for the Galatians who Paul is writing to in chapter 3, after starting one way, they're trying to finish another way as well. But it's not an accident for them. See, they are being convinced to do that by someone else. And Paul wants them to know just how dangerous it is for them to do that. He actually wants them to know what's really at stake. And it's not just a bit of embarrassment in front of some people. As we said in week one, it's, it's life or death. It's curse or blessing. Paul's question for the Galatians this morning is, after beginning by means of the Spirit, this is verse three, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Today Paul is saying to the Galatians uh, and to us as well through this passage, Once you're in, you're in. Now finish the way that you started. Once you're in, you're in. Finish the way you started. There's an outline uh, for you to follow along with this morning if you'd like to in the leaflet that you picked up. And the first point you'll see there says, if you're in, you're in. Point one there. Well, Paul starts off in verse one. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul doesn't hold back at all here in these opening verses of chapter 3 because he sees a big problem and he knows what's at stake. The problem he sees is this. After having received new life in Jesus, the Galatians seem to be trying to go back to their old life, the way they were living before Jesus came. Paul is shocked by this. And why is he shocked? He writes, because Jesus has been clearly portrayed before them as having been crucified, and they're turning away from that. In verse 13 to 14, at the end of the passage this morning, Paul summarizes what it is that this means, that Jesus has been clearly portrayed before them as having been crucified. 
If you read verse 13 to 14, it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who was hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus died on the cross so that the curse of God's condemnation may be on him instead of us for our rejection of God. That Jesus died on the cross so that instead of living under the curse of judgment and condemnation for our rejection of God, we actually receive his blessing. And how do we receive his blessing? How do we receive forgiveness and life? It's through Christ and Christ alone. By putting our trust in Jesus as the only one who can rescue us. We are justified by faith alone through Christ alone. Uh, There was a group of people, you you might remember from the last couple of weeks, called the Circumcision Group, who were saying that it was through works of the law that we are made right with God. It's by being circumcised, by following the correct food laws, by not being stained and made unclean, by dining with uh, Gentiles, by people who weren't Jews. But what has Paul already made clear in the first two chapters that we've looked at together? This isn't the case. It's not the law. We are justified by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul wants the Galatians to know that if they've received this blessing by faith in Jesus, this is now how they should continue to live, by faith in Jesus, not by faith in works of the law, not by faith in what they can do to make themselves right before God. By finishing the way they started, faith in Jesus. The way they were before this, was facing God's condemnation and his judgment because all they could rely on was something that couldn't save them, their own works of the flesh following the works of the law. And Paul wants them to know this is no longer the case. We are justified, made right with God through faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished on the cross on our behalf. Um, There there are two examples in the first uh, nine or so verses that Paul uses to defend the gospel that he has proclaimed and to show the Galatians that those who have bewitched them and are turning them away from the cross are wrong. The first defense is in verses 1 to 5 and concerns the Holy Spirit. The second defense is in verses 6 to 9 uh, and as we uh, heard in the kids' talk today, it concerns heritage, our family uh, DNA. Verses 1 to 5 really consists of six questions that all actually lead in the same direction. That the Galatians did not receive the Spirit by works of the law, but by believing what they heard. In other words, the thing that signifies that they belong to the people of God isn't the law, it's not following the works of the law, it's not circumcision or correct cleanliness and food laws. The thing that signifies they belong to the people of God is God himself the promised Holy Spirit dwelling in and amongst them, received through faith and not works of the law. In Ezekiel chapter 36, there should be a passage that comes up on the screen, thanks Jemima. Um, Ezekiel 36, which is a book in the Old Testament, we read about the promise of the Holy Spirit to the Israelites. Ezekiel 36 verse 25 to 27 says this, God says this through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, this is God promising that he himself will give the Israelites a new heart. He himself will be with them, that he himself will help them live for him how they ought to live for him. In another letter that Paul writes, this time to the church in Ephesus, he writes about this Holy Spirit, this promised Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1 verse 13, Paul writes this, it should be on the screen again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of his glory. Faith in Christ means being part of God's people. It means that God himself dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. It means that if you're in, then you're in. And if you're in by faith in Christ alone, why would you revert to relying on something else to stay in? William Taylor from St. Helens in London uses a really uh, helpful example similar to the following one to explain uh, what Paul is saying here. On the screen behind me, this should pop up uh, a VHS video player. Um, can, like, people can remember having one of these, I'm sure, but if you were born after the 1990s, these might be kind of a distant memory. You might not even really recognize it. Because um, this is, of course, how we used to watch movies. You know, every time you watched a movie, uh, you'd have to get this big tape, you'd have to put it into the machine, you'd probably have to rewind the tape. If you wanted to watch something, you might have to wander down to the video store as well. Remember those? How fun those were. Video store to hire it. And even then, there might not be any in stock for you to hire. And then if it was in stock and you hired it and got home, chances are you'd have to rewind the whole movie because the person before you had forgotten to do that. Now, watching movies, it was, it was really hard, wasn't it, guys? Really, what a problem. But, uh, but now, things have changed. Just with these things here, I can watch those very same movies in high definition this time from this. I don't uh, even need to go and hire a movie from the store. I can even just cast this to the TV and I can watch whatever I want. And I never have to rewind anything. It's great. We can just cruise through Netflix or Stan or Disney Plus to find something to watch. Actually, I might watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier tonight as well. I might watch that. And if the movie we we want to watch isn't there, we we can hire it through Google Movies or something. You see what I'm saying, right? Why, after having watched movies this new way, which I think is so much better and so much more easy, why would I return to the old way? That's Paul's question for the Galatians, and it should be a really easy one for them to answer. Paul's asking, are we saved from God's just judgment for our rejection of him, given new life, and do we receive the Holy Spirit by following works of the law? No. Are we saved from God's just judgment for our rejection of him, given new life, and do we receive the Holy Spirit by trusting in Jesus? Yes. So why, if that is the case and you know this, would you revert to trying to be saved any other way? Why, having started one way, Are you trying to finish another way, the wrong way? Paul wants them to know if you're in, you're in. Start with faith in Jesus. Finish with faith in Jesus. Know what's at stake. 
So the question we are all presented with now is, are you in? Have you put your trust in Jesus as the one who saves? As the only one who can make you right with God? Or are there other things you're relying on in your life to make you right with God? Other things you think can save you from his just judgment of sin? Know that it is by faith in Jesus that we are made right with God and not anything else. Know that those with faith in Jesus are marked with the seal of the Spirit, that God dwells in us, marking us as His, helping us to live for Him as we ought. And know that if you're in, you're in. So, are you in? Paul's first argument or defense for the Galatians is that they are in. Because they've believed what they've heard. They've trusted in Jesus. The promised Holy Spirit is with them. So why go back to living the way they were before? Paul's defense of the gospel, one more time, is if you're in, you're in. Nothing else is needed but faith in Christ and what he's done. Paul's uh, second defense is found in verses 6 to 9 and concerns being the children of Abraham. That's point two on your outline, children of Abraham. He writes, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. As we heard in the kids' talk, physical heritage and DNA don't make us part of God's people. It's faith in Jesus that makes us part of God's people. Um, For my father and I, the thing that makes it obvious that we're related and that we have the same DNA is our curly hair when we let our hair grow out. And it's the fact that there's, there's really only one eyebrow that starts with our descendants and kind of works its way down the family tree through all of the male pages. We all have that same eyebrow. But what is the DNA of our family? What sets all of us apart as being related? Well, no matter our heritage or where we are from, Paul writes that we are children of Abraham by faith. And if we are children of Abraham, we are those descendants of Abraham who are blessed just as God promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 when he said, all nations shall be blessed through you. Paul here is arguing that Gentiles, meaning anyone who isn't a direct physical descendant of Abraham and Jews, meaning those who are direct descendants of Abraham, are both united as Abraham's descendants, as God's people by faith in Jesus. And Paul is saying that justification by faith has always been the plan, that this can be seen in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, that this is always the way that God intended to make us right with himself. And he says that the gospel was being proclaimed even back then. The argument from the circumcision group that Gentiles weren't made right with God and weren't part of God's people through just faith in Jesus, that argument is squashed here as Paul points out that Scripture has always pointed forward to this reality. That we are not made right with God, um, that we are made right with God rather through faith and not through works of the law. After all, this promise was made to Abraham before he was circumcised. This promise was made to Abraham before the law was even given to the Israelites. 
And Abraham believed God's promises and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Those who trust in Jesus are God's people. If we're in, we're in. In verses 10 to 14, Paul goes back to addressing the problem that the Galatians were facing. That the Galatians were being turned away from Jesus who had clearly been portrayed to them as crucified. They were losing sight of what Jesus had really done for them. But Paul wants the Galatians and us to remember what it is that we've been saved from and why uh, we never need to go back to trying to save ourselves by relying on what we can bring to the table before God. Point three on your outline should say, finishing the way we started. Paul writes in verses 10 to 12, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. What is Paul saying here? We're saying whoever relies on works of the law remain under a curse. Whoever relies on what they can bring to the table to make themselves right with God remains under a curse. In other words, they remain condemned under God's judgment because no one can fulfill the law's demands. It's impossible. If you rely on the law, you're saying in verse 12, I will follow the law and by doing so I will live. By doing this I will live. You're saying that I can present myself as blameless and guiltless before God. But Paul has written in verse 11 that clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Something else from the Old Testament scripture that the circumcision group would have been familiar with from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. This is where we come back to what it is that Jesus has done in verses 13 to 14. What it is that Paul wants the Galatians to turn their eyes and hearts back to and never to forget. What helps us see that faith is really the only way we could possibly be brought to respond to Jesus. An act of complete and utter dependence on a saviour who has given us his all so that we might belong to him, that we might have life. Paul wants the Galatians and us to remember that Jesus is the one who's faced that curse for us and that unless we trust in him as the one who has become that curse for us, God's anger and judgment remain on our shoulders and we remain guilty before him. When we put our trust in Jesus, we aren't saying, look at this amazing action that I'm taking, putting my faith in this guy. We're saying, look at the amazing thing Jesus has done for us. I am doomed without him. I am totally and utterly dependent on him. There is nothing I need more in this world than Jesus. Nothing else that can save me from the just and deserved judgment of God. We've been purchased from the law, from the curse of the law, by the greatest payment imaginable, by Jesus' own life that he willingly gave to buy us back from the curse of the law to rescue us. We are God's children. We're loved by him. If we're in, we're in. So if if you're losing sight of the cross, if anyone is trying to convince you that there is any other way to be made right with God other than by what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf, then don't listen to them. If you're in, you're in. 
And it's by faith in Jesus alone that this is the case. So finish the way you started. In total dependence on the one who loves you enough to give his life for you and not thinking that there is anything you could bring to the table to make you right with God. But finish the race by trusting in Jesus to get you there. But, uh, but practically, what does it mean to finish the way we started? What does it mean to live by faith in Jesus? And there are a couple of things that stand out from this passage this morning that can help us to think through what this looks like. And we'll really get to look at this in particular and dig into the meat of this in the last couple of weeks in this series as we think about living in the freedom we have in Christ and walking by the Spirit. That's in chapter 5. But for now, there are two things that it's really helpful, I think, for us to think about this morning. And the first is this, which I think is the obvious question that Paul wants us to think through and the warning that he wants us to think through. Be wary of what might turn you away from the cross of Christ. As Paul is concerned for the Galatians in verse 1, that they are being turned away from the cross, what are the things that could turn us away from the cross of Christ and what he's done for us? I think for anyone who especially feels guilt for sin, this is a great question to come back to again and again. Because it's easy to feel like we need to do something to make ourselves right with God when we've recognized that we've done the wrong thing. And we all do that even after putting our trust in Jesus. We might feel like we need to come to church, we need to compensate by helping someone out or by giving money to someone or to church or to a charity to show God that, you know, we're not so bad, we've leveled the scales, haven't we, by doing something right after doing something wrong, surely God's happy with me now. But this isn't what the gospel says. This isn't what it looks like to continue living by faith in Jesus. Don't let guilt drive you to anything else other than Jesus as the one through whom we have forgiveness. He wants you to come to him, not flee away from him. Jesus doesn't want us to make ourselves perfect before coming to him. We come to him broken and in need of forgiveness. And he makes us perfect. He makes us presentable to God. He makes us righteous. He makes it possible, we'll read next week, to call ourselves God's children loved by him. So never let guilt of sin turn you away from the cross of Christ. Let it, drive you, um, let it drive you straight to him. But it might not be guilt that turns you away from Jesus. Um, you might be here this morning actually thinking that you don't need it. Actually, you might have fallen into that same trap as a circumcision group. When I ask this question, is it possible that you may feel morally superior to someone else who was at church today or someone else in your life? Is it possible that you might feel morally superior to someone else who is at church today or in your life? If so, can I ask, why do you feel that way? Is it because of how involved in church you are? Is it because of of how maybe the person uh, looks? Or uh, is it um, someone you look at and you just think, um, you know, wow, God, thank you that I'm not like that person. Well, remember the problem with the Pharisee and the tax collector in the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. writes this in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which one goes home justified before God's eyes? Well, it's not the one who seems to have it all together, who doesn't see themselves as one of the people he calls an evildoer. I mean, he looks great on a resume, doesn't he? I'd probably hang out with this guy. And yet the Pharisee isn't the man that is made right with God. It's the man who comes to God in humility, recognizing his sin and his total and utter dependence on God to make things right. So are you like the tax collector or the Pharisee? Firstly, be wary of what might turn you away from the cross of Christ, whether that's guilt and you think Jesus couldn't want you, so you you turn away from him instead of to him, or if you're self-righteous and relying on your own efforts to make you right with God, be wary of what might turn you away from the cross of Christ. Um, Secondly and lastly, I think this passage encourages us to relearn the gospel every single day and to pray that God would enable us by his Spirit who is the seal that guarantees our inheritance as one of God's children, that is in those who trust in Jesus and enables us to live for God, to apply the gospel to every part of our lives as we seek to live for him. Ask him to do this. Pray that you would never lose sight of Jesus as being clearly portrayed as crucified for you. As a church, we can never lose sight of the gospel. This is what Paul is saying all throughout Galatians. Remember that if you're in, you're in. Finish the way you started by trusting in Jesus. I'm going to ask God to help us do that now. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the life that you've given to us in your Son's name. Thank you that you love us despite our rejection of you. Thank you that we're made right with you through what your Son has done on the cross. Please help us never to lose sight of Jesus and what it is that he has done for us. Help us never to fall into the trap of thinking that uh, we can make ourselves right before you, Lord. Help us always to trust only in Jesus, to live by faith in him, not in our own accomplishments, Lord. Amen.